You're listening to the Victory Church Podcast. Here at Victory, we are called to equip a caring, committed community of worshipers to reach their world for Jesus. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. I'm Pastor Steve. It's so good to be uh, with you for this final message in this series, Dinner with a Friend. And um, I am honored to be able to, to, to bring this, this encouragement with you to you. And it's from the book of John, chapter 21. And so that's our main text if you want to turn in your Bibles or, or, or follow along. John 21, starting at verse 4, we're going to, to read this story. And, and before I do, I just want to tell you the, the, the title of, of my message. It's the best part of waking up. Okay? Now, some of you might, uh, might get where that comes from, but um, I think you'll get what I mean as we get into this message. Uh, but first, let me, uh, let me read this text, and then, and then we'll pray. John chapter 21, verse 4. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood at the beach, or on the beach, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And so Jesus said to them, children... Uh, you do not have any fish to eat, do you? And they answered, no. Thanks for reminding us. That's kind of parenthetical. And he said to them, cast your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some fish. And they cast it and they were not able to haul it in because of the great quantity of fish. And therefore, uh, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. And so when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped down to work. He just had his, like, just his, his uh, you know, undergarments on, and, uh, and threw them into the sea. But the other disciple came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, about 200 cubits away, that's about 100 yards, dragging in a net full of fish. And when they got out, of, out onto the land, they saw a charcoal fire already made and fish placed on it, and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have now caught. And so Simon Peter went up and hauled the net to land and full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. And none of the disciples ventured to inquire, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and he gave it to them and the fish likewise. And this was now the third time that Jesus revealed himself to his disciples, for he was raised from the dead. We were just singing about that. And now, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, this is where it really gets interesting. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my lambs. And he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, shepherd my sheep. And then he said a third time, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, when you were, young, you were younger, you used to put on your belt and walk where you wanted and when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will put your belt on you and bring you to where you don't want to go. And now he said this, indicating what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had said this, he said to him, follow me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for um, 
your word that uh, accomplishes what it's sent to do. It's not, it's not ineffective. It, it's powerful. And, and Lord, we thank you that as we meditate on this, on this passage and this story of, of uh, Jesus encountering the disciples, but particularly this, this breakfast meeting with Peter, we ask that you would speak to our hearts and, and, and may your word become alive and transform us. And so, Lord, we, we, uh, we ask for the leadership and the ministry of the Holy Spirit now as, as I speak, and to everyone that's listening and watching, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. So the best part of waking up, um, how many of you like our breakfast people? You know, do, do you like breakfast? All right, all right. So how many of you skip breakfast? You know, you're like, no, I, I skip breakfast. Now, um, for me, I don't necessarily eat breakfast all the time, but at least I'm going to have coffee. How many of you are there? Like, you know, I got to have coffee. So coffee is the thing, and I, I'm all about coffee. I love coffee. I really like coffee. And, um, and so it's not, it's not really an awesome day if I can't have some coffee. And so uh, I, I, that's what I want in my cup. And uh, I've kind of had this, you know what I mean, right? Okay, so before I go any further, there's probably someone in this room or, or watching that doesn't drink coffee. How many of you are like that naturally caffeinated person? Okay, you're, you're snobs too. Coffee snobs aren't the only snobs. It's the people that are like, oh, I don't need coffee. No, I'm just, I'm just playing with you. But, you know, whether you need coffee or not, it's like those things that are special to you to kind of get your day started. And, and whatever it is, maybe it's tea, maybe it's, maybe it's, maybe it's uh, Dr. Pepper. I don't know what you get started with. But for me, my routine is I'll have coffee at the very least, and then I want something else in my cup. I want the goodness of God in my cup. I want to spend time with Jesus. And, and I've tried to make that like a habit of mine, just to be able to, to start my day off right. Say, I want to, you know, if I think I need a pickup from coffee, that's nothing compared to what we need um, by finding our life and our fuel in the face of Christ. And, um, and so I think about this, this, this meeting, particularly, it's not dinner, it's actually a breakfast meeting with Jesus. And what happens was so important. And I think God has something to say to us as we really think about that. So here's your scripture memory verse, right? It's John 21, 12. Jesus says, come and have breakfast. <laughs> How do you like that? Come and have breakfast. And so there's invitation now to, to have breakfast with Jesus, to have a discussion with Jesus. And, and um, you know, if, if, if God has a meeting with you, you can, you can bet that, that, that you're gonna have a need for something that he has for you and that he always has something for you. In fact, when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he said, he said, give us this day what? Our daily bread. And so I believe that God has something for us. Well, God had something for Peter the day that he met with him. Jesus meets them on the shores of Galilee. And now just in context, what, what did he have for him? He had, he had two things. It was a twofold purpose for this meeting, this breakfast meeting with Peter. Now, the other, there were some other disciples there on the shore of Galilee that day. But really, they're almost like secondary. The story really zooms in on this encounter with Jesus and, and, and Peter. And, um, and I think it was so really, so powerful when we really see what unfolds here. But here's the context. This is after Jesus rose from the dead. And the Bible tells us that it was the third time that he appears in this text. The third time that he appeared uh, in, after his resurrection to the disciples. And this time, he's, he's being really strategic. He has something for Peter. And so what are the two things? I'll just say right off the top. Jesus had two things in mind, I think. A twofold purpose in his, in his meeting with Peter that day. It was restoration and recommissioning. 
restoration and recommissioning. Let me talk about the restoration bit, because why did he need restoration? Well, you may remember that Peter, although he had already seen the risen Lord, I believe there was something that God still wanted to do. Do you know it's possible to be aware and to know that you are now the beneficiary of the resurrected life of Jesus, and yet that resurrection life has to get into you? You know, there's still something that needs to be resurrected and something in you that needs to be freed. And in, and in Peter, I think that there was something that really needed to be freed um, in the face of the resurrected Lord, him coming to him and inviting him, hey, come have breakfast with me, I want to talk to you. And so um, what we find is that Jesus begins to set the stage for this encounter. Now, he has already um, had this restoration mission in mind because Peter wasn't the only one that he was meeting with. He had just met, in fact, the previous chapter tells us that he had met with Thomas, one of his other disciples. And you may remember what happened. Thomas, um, he he had also kind of doubted. Um, remember, when Jesus showed up at one of, the, one of the gatherings after his resurrection, Thomas just so happened to be out at the store. I don't know what he was doing. Can you imagine missing that one? I mean, he show up and he's like, Jesus showed up, he's here, he's alive. Yeah, right, what? Man, and, and, so, um, and so he struggles to believe. He says, I'm not, do you remember the story? He, I, I, I'm not gonna believe it unless I can, you know, I can touch him with my, touch him with my, my hands, you know, I can... So what does Jesus do the next time? He shows up and he says, hey, Thomas, <laughs> come on over here. Touch, touch my hands. Here's the scars. And, and he meets with him and, and Thomas is restored and he's so amazed. He says, Lord, my God, I'm so humbled. And, and, and Jesus says, you're blessed, you know, because you've seen. But how blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe? And so the heart of God that's so evident, even in our doubt and our struggle, we see with Jesus' encounter with uh, Thomas. But then we've got Peter. This is almost like a whole other level of failure and disappointment because you know what happened. In, uh, in John chapter uh, 13, at the Last Supper, we're talking Judas had just left the room and he's like, I don't, everybody's still not even sure what he's, what he's doing. But we know as we're kind of reading the story what's happening here, right? Judas is going to betray Jesus. And uh, Peter, right there, he says, you know, I'm willing to lay down my life and die for you. And Jesus looks at Peter at the Last Supper and he says, really, oh really? You know, before the rooster even crows, you're gonna deny that you know me three times. And then what happens is that that's exactly what happens. By the time Jesus is betrayed, uh, is take, arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane and, and betrayed by Judas and he's led away to the first part of a very long trial, all night long, um, he is taken into that first part of the trial, and guess what? A lot of the, the disciples scatter. You know, Peter has already had a little bit of a, of a, of a, a, a tumble with, uh, with one of the, the guards and, you know, tried to cut off his ear. The whole, I think he tried to cut off his head, actually, and uh, he just wasn't that great with the, with the sword. But the fact is, is that he was, he was trying to defend Jesus and he seemed like he was willing to do that. But by the time the pressure really got on and he's standing outside of the trial, the door, people start to ask him, hey, aren't you one of Jesus' disciples? And he denies it. And then, and then, um, it, and then the interesting thing is the text tells us that, that right around a charcoal fire, because it, it was cold that night, that once again he's asked, in, in, the, in the dim light of, the, of that fire, hey, aren't you Jesus' disciple? He says, no, I don't know the man. Then a third time, 
Another gospel writer, not in John, but another gospel writer says that that time, that his, that his, this last kind of insistence that he didn't know him was so forceful that he actually cursed. And then the rooster crowed. And the Bible tells us, if you read all the gospel accounts, that, that Peter was so distraught that he actually went out and he wept uncontrollably and bitterly thinking about what he had just done. This is where, this is, this, can you just imagine, just try to put yourself in, in his shoes, this is what he was feeling, right? And Jesus sets the stage for an encounter <laughs> with the one who denied him. And can you imagine the guilt and the shame, what was in his cup that morning? And, 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 and when you read some of these things in the text, if you really look, I was interested because I was watching this and just looking at this and thinking, okay, Wow, only Jesus could set this up like this. Like this reference in this passage in John 21, Jesus makes breakfast for, for the disciples and for, and, for, and for Peter, and guess what is around? A charcoal fire. And where does he invite him to come and be restored? Along the beach. And how, can you imagine his mind just reeling as he's thinking, you know, three and a half years ago, this is when Jesus first met me. He called me right along the same shore seashore, and he, and, he, and he invites me to come and follow him, and he says, now follow me, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And, and there's so many other things. Uh, he also remembers, because the first time that Jesus called him, he said, hey, have you guys caught anything? Oh, that's the Lord. Yeah, he, he did that last time. And, he, and then he told us to go out and cast your, we just were fishing all night, we didn't catch anything. Go out there and just do one more time. And this time he said, yeah, just throw it over on the other side of the boat. Like that's going to really make a difference. The fish are hanging out on the right side, you know. It's Jesus. I mean, they knew right away it's Jesus. Can you imagine kind of this mixed emotions that, that Peter was feeling? I want to see him. I need to spend more time with Jesus. But yet at the same time on the inside, just churning, feeling shame and disappointment and sadness and all the different feelings that he would probably have felt. But I want to tell you something. All of these things that Jesus does to set the stage for his breakfast meeting with Peter, it was for a reason. You see, God doesn't uh, show us reruns to shame us. He convicts us to change us. And there... He's ready to fill Peter's cup, and I mean this cup right here, right? He's there to, to, to fill him up. He's, he's there to meet us. This is what Jesus does. When he brings us to a place where we're going we're gonna to confront the, the place of our failure, the place of our shame, the place of our disappointment, the place of our sin, it is not to shame us and condemn us. It is to free us. And then he really gets into it. So the stage has been set. He's already kind of, whoa, this is almost, is this a do-over? Do I get a chance to kind of get it right? <laughs> but he really then hammers it home because the heart of the matter is found in these three questions. And he asks him three times, do you love me? And, uh, and as we, we see these questions unfold, it just starts to hit him one by one, and I wonder if in the heart of God, it's like, hey, you know those, those nails that you hammered into yourself thinking that you're worthless and unworthy? Every time he asks that question, it's like, I'm pulling that nail. You know, I'm just, I'm, I want to free you. And so he says, Peter, do you love me? Now, Peter denied him three times, and Jesus asks him three questions, do you love me? Isn't that cool? It's like you're reversing that thing. 
But there were some hard things. The first thing he asked was, Peter, do you love me more than these? And, and uh, you know, I think he's also dealing with some pride sometimes. When we want to be restored to Jesus, we have to let go of our pride. Yeah, I can't, I can't do this. I can't follow Jesus. I can't do this without really surrender and really saying, it's not, I can't do it by myself. It's not on my own strength at all. When we come to Jesus, we come to him in grace and humility. And so he says, do you love me more than these? Because Peter was the very one who's like, listen, if everybody forsakes you, I'm not going to. That didn't happen. Do you love me more than these? You know, feed my lambs. And then the second question, uh, Simon, do you love me? And he says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then shepherd my sheep. And then the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, or John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because he asked the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, you know all things, you know that I love you. And he said, tend my sheep. Now, a couple of things here that I find really interesting. There are different words that are used uh, for the word love in this, these questions. He asked them, he asked him, uh, Simon, do you love me the first time? And this word he uses is the word we, we agape. It's the unconditional love. And then uh, Peter responds with this phileo, this, this friendly love. That's the word. Now, um, this happens twice. Jesus asks, do you agape? He says, I phileo. I, you know, do you love me unconditionally? Yes, I love you, friend. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? Can you imagine? Now, that happens twice. And then the third time, Jesus says, do you love me, friend? Do you love me as a friend? Right? He kind of brings that, and then he says, he's hurt. It says he's hurt because he asked me, he asked the third time, do you love me as a friend? And he, and, and, and he says, Lord, you know all things, but I, yes, I love you I love you as a friend. And he uses the same word. And some scholars do, do kind of say, hey, it's the, the use of the, the, the different terms for love is not important because they have been used in other texts uh, in the Gospels interchangeably, and that that's not the most important thing, but that the response of love and obedience to the call of God is most important. So if you love me, then, then obey me. And I think there's something to be said, absolutely true. But the reason that I think that there's something as well happening with respect to the quality of the love that he's asking him and inviting him into is because what we find is that in John 15, Jesus says, greater love has no one than this than he lay down his life for his friend. Greater love that greater a love would be the agape, the kind of love that is willing to sacrifice all for his friend. And that word is the same root word that's connected to the word mean a friend. And so I do believe that there are, in other words, can you be a friend and love somebody unconditionally? Is it possible to have both things happening at the same time? Absolutely. And so I believe that Jesus was inviting him to respond and to mature in a way. And yet at the same time, perhaps what was happening here was, was he was feeling, hey, I'm not worth, maybe I'm not worthy to be, to be in relationship with you at that depth and that level. Have you ever kind of failed God or, or, or sinned or really tripped up and you thought, you just start, automatically you think, man, I don't think I'm, I'm dis you could disqualify yourself before God even does. You ever felt that? Maybe, maybe that was what was happening here. Um, we don't know, but I, I, I'll tell you, whatever the case was, I do believe that Jesus still, just the fact that he is asking him these questions, he's drawing him out. And, um, and so we may feel stuck, we may feel like we're not worthy, but I want to tell you, just the fact that Jesus, even though he said, now, do you love me? 
as a friend and he says, oh man, it really hurts me. And maybe he was hurt once again because Jesus kind of downgraded that level of love. Or maybe just the fact that he asked him again for the third time. Whatever the case, just think about it. If he was still feeling unworthy, the fact that Jesus was saying, if you love me, then go ahead, assume the leadership and the calling that I've called you to have. It means that Jesus had belief and faith in him even when he did not. And isn't that what the whole point is all about anyway? Is that when God says, I'm calling you to do something, I know that you don't have it all together, but my grace working in you, my love working through you is how you do it. I mean, that's pretty freeing, isn't it? Um, I think of the story of the prodigal son, right? What happens when, when the prodigal son story in Luke 15, where, where Jesus tells the story of the father's, that, that, re, that rebellious son who went away and spent all his father had, his father's inheritance, and when he's in the lowest point, in the mud, in the pigsty, he comes to his senses and he says, now I'm going to go back, I had it better at, my, better at my father's house, and I'm going to tell him, do you know how it went? I'm going to tell him, I'm not worthy to be your son anymore. There's that downgrade, right? I'm just going to be a servant. Do you think the father would have it that way? No, he kind of cut him off mid-sentence in the middle of his speech that he had prepared. I'm not worthy. And he says, no, man, you're my son. Come on back. Because that heart of repentance, I believe what happened already is that Peter had already, in his weeping and his bitterness, had already repented quite a bit. But now what he needed to do is receive something. You know, it's possible to repent and then not receive In other words, what I'm saying is you feel this sense of grief and you confess that. But the next thing is, I not only have to confess that thing to the Lord, but I have to allow him to receive me. I have to receive that love, the grace of God to be able to be restored to what God has called you to be. You see, I have to, my allowing God to love me and embrace me is how I begin to step into what God has called me to be. be. Um, You see, uh, when we sin and we feel stuck, the devil accuses us. But Jesus saves. Which one will you choose? The devil means accuser. Jesus means salvation. Romans 8.1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Right? Uh, Romans 2.4, don't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from sin? Isn't that great? This is the point where where now Peter had to receive the love of God. And so um, this is what happens. The recommissioning, not just the restoration, but the recommissioning. So he says it three times. He says, tend my lambs, shepherd my sheep, tend my sheep. The leadership and the calling that God had on Peter's life was not diminished. And in fact, he already had intimated this in previous conversations with Peter, but Peter was called to actually lay down his life for the Lord. In fact, in tradition, uh, Christian tradition tells us that he was crucified upside down, giving his life for Jesus. And uh, right around the same time as the Apostle Paul, actually in in Rome, uh, under the persecution of Nero. But think about what happened to Peter. I mean, this guy, that even after all of this powerful time with Jesus, and what a man of faith, so many questions that he was the first to answer those questions, Um, right? I mean, think about it. The the questions that were were asked of him throughout the time of Jesus over these years, and now these last questions, and I believe he responds, and here's how we know, because he 
He is a central figure after the resurrection and after the outpouring of the Spirit. We see that he's full of faith. Who is the man that gets up and preaches when the Holy Spirit is poured out and, and at Pentecost in Jerusalem? Who preaches that sermon? 3,000 people come to the Lord. It's Peter. The powerhouse, man. I mean, we're talking full of the Spirit. He was taking that leadership role. That call was manifest. And let me tell you, he was restored. He was commissioned by Jesus. And so what is the best part of waking up? It's breakfast with Jesus, the breakfast with Jesus. And so this is why, listen, if this can happen with Peter, wherever you are, you could be in a good place, but you can be in a really tough place, but you're willing to turn your heart to Jesus and say, Jesus, I need you to speak to me. He's going he's gonna to set things right in your life if you allow him to love you, allow him to convict you, allow you to change you, allow him to change you. And so... Um, Will you follow Jesus? This is my last question here. Will you follow Jesus then? Because Peter decided, even through his ups and his downs, I'm going to follow Jesus. And he followed Jesus faithfully till the end. Now, to follow Jesus is no joke. It doesn't, it's not easy. It means, uh, it means a willingness to sacrifice. The call to be a disciple is a call to die. All right. Now, that doesn't mean you're called to be a martyr, but uh, uh, give your life. But that means that you've got to surrender your life, be willing to live a laid down life to the Lord. Right. And. Um, here's three characteristics that I want you to think about in your walk with the Lord. Uh, what are the three characteristics of a, of a disciple? I'll leave you with this. Um, Dr. Bobby Harrington, uh, who's written a bit on, uh, quite a bit on, on discipleship stuff, actually defines it simply this way. He says, a, a follower of Jesus is somebody who has, who has, first of all, this is a tough one, has actually decided to follow Jesus. How many of you met people, or maybe you've been that person at some point, you're like, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian, but you're not really following Jesus, right? You, you, just, you just say it, but you're not really following him. Okay, I'm going to actually follow you. You're going to be you're going to be the one that I follow, that I emulate. I'm going to actually, I'm going to, I'm going to walk behind you. Do you see what I'm saying? I'm going to watch what you're doing. I want to be like you. Do you see? That's what a disciple does. Just choose to follow him. And then the second one is a little harder because a disciple is somebody who's being transformed by Jesus. I can't stay the same. The longer I follow Jesus, the more I become like him, which means that junk has to go. That sin has to go. That, you know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm taking more and more of his ways as my ways. And that's even just a, through surrender and obedience. It's still God's work and his grace. Amen? And the last one is that you've embraced his mission. So I want to ask you, you know, have you decided to follow Jesus? Have you committed to be transformed by him? And have you embraced his mission? Um, John actually ends this, this gospel uh, almost prior to chapter 21. He does it in chapter 20. He says the reason that he wrote this book, and he says this, I've written these things so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And then he goes on and tells this story of what happens with Peter. And it's almost like, just let me, let me just say one more thing. Check out what happened to Peter, <laughs> right? Just so you know that believing in him is the way to life. And maybe you're watching and maybe you're sitting right here and, 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 and you're like, hey, I say I know him, but I really haven't put my trust in him. I, I try to live my own way. You know, I say that I'm a follower, but I'm not really following. I don't really want to change. I certainly... I'm scared what he might call me to do. 
me tell you, that's where life begins is when you lay down your own. I want to invite you uh, to pray with me. If, if, if you have never committed your life to Jesus, it's the best decision you'll ever make. Simply uh, pray something like this with your heart. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you love me. You died for me. You rose again, and you're inviting me into new life. You're inviting me to follow you, and I, I want to do that right now. And I give you my sin, my brokenness, and I receive your forgiveness and your wholeness. And I want to find out what you're calling me to be. And I thank you that when I receive you, now I get eternal life and I get to know the Father and receive your spirit. And so I say yes to you right now. I believe in you. I trust you. If you've done that, let me tell you, it's the best decision you ever make. God's getting to work already by his spirit in you. And, and, and we're excited about that. And, and um, I want to say, we're gonna, you're going to get some more information on how to take, continue to take steps to follow Jesus. And, and, um, and so God bless you. I want to I pray or speak a benediction over you um, as, we, uh, as we close here. Uh, the most exciting you can do is to follow Jesus, be transformed by him. And accept his mission, his calling on your life to be his disciple and to make disciples and to change the world uh, through his love and power. And so let me pray over you. Now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening to the Victory Church Podcast. If this message inspired you, feel free to share it with your friends, family, and social media. And make sure to subscribe to hear future messages from Victory Church. If you'd like to support the mission of Victory, please visit getvictory.net slash give. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day.